Hello and welcome to another episode of Why They Win. Today I'm joined by Mike Matthews, who is an author of the book Bigger, Leaner, Stronger for Men and Thinner, Leaner, Stronger for Women. Uh, and both are health and fitness programs unlike any you will ever try. Uh, I was sceptical, so I downloaded the audio version on Audible. And uh, three months later, I was lean. I had muscles. I could buy any clothes I wanted. And although my wife said I still had a bubble butt, I could tuck my shirt in without feeling like people were pointing at my ass in the street. Uh, I didn't have boobs that drooped down comedically like those droopy eyeball glasses. And I looked better than I ever looked before. You know, I, I'm, I'm a solid five out of 10 now. I'm physically fit, I'm mentally fit, and I would highly recommend his program. It genuinely works. I've lost 45 pounds of blubber. And although I'm not anywhere near where, I'm at, where I hope to end on this program, I almost have a, a three pack. Uh, which isn't quite the end goal of a six-pack, but it means I'm 50% towards the dream. Obviously, Mike is ripped uh, to the bone. He's, he's huge, got muscles. It's fantastic. He is proof that his program works. I would recommend checking out his book. And also, he's got a podcast and a website under the banner Muscle for Life, uh, which supports all the users of his, pro of his program with articles and updates, and he interacts uh, with those who use his program. I would really recommend it. So if you want to change your life around drastically, especially your body in the next 12 weeks, here's his 100% the health and fitness program I'd recommend you follow. You're not too old. His program works whether you're male or female, young or old. Uh, I'm 38 now and my face is so creased it looks like I've just woken up the whole time. Uh, but my body looks younger, young uh, even. So today he joined me to discuss how he devised his program and to explain exactly what it can do for you. Uh, I'm not lying. I'm not paid by him to say this. It really works. Uh, I would get it in. It costs very little and it will change your life. Uh, thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy the show. But how did you come yeah. up? How did you come up with your program? Because by your own admission, you weren't always in the shape you're in now. Um, you, you often say that right. it took you many years to, to work out how to do it quickly. I grew up playing sports and when I was 17 or so, I, I played a lot of ice hockey when growing up, and then at 17, I stopped that, 15, 17, and I got into working out, because I wanted to keep on doing something physical, even if it wasn't going to be competitive sports, and um, so I started lifting weights. And in the beginning, I just did random shit. I found a magazine and whatever, and, you know, um, your traditional kind of bodybuilding workouts, 20 sets per workout, supersets, drop sets, high rep, pump, pump, pump type stuff, um, you know, basically, you know, very little, I don't think I ever deadlifted for the first time. I tried a bunch of stuff along the way, and I was fine with it because I don't know. At that time, it was something I did, but it wasn't. Uh, it was, I didn't. I wasn't like, oh, I got. I got to be super big and super shredded because I want to impress everybody or do whatever. I worked out. I enjoyed my workouts. I just kind of enjoyed it. It made me feel good. I did it with my friends. And but as I got a bit older, there's a point where I just started to actually like. I realized that I don't really know much of anything. You know what I mean? I don't know much about dieting. I don't know much about training. I couldn't, I've worked with trainers, all kinds of trainers and tried different diets and stuff. And not really honestly even putting that much faith in them, just kind of doing it just to kind of see what happens. And uh, so then when I got more serious about, let's actually set a goal. I've been doing this for seven years and I didn't look all that great. I had put on some size, of course, because I lifted weights for seven years, for seven years consistently. So you can't help but get somewhere. But you didn't, you didn't, you didn't look anything. Like, you, you didn't look anything like you look now. 
That's the crazy thing after seven years. Oh, no, not, not, yeah, not like now. No. I mean, I had probably, I, I remember looking at numbers. In the first seven years of weightlifting, I probably gained 30 pounds of muscle, probably. You looked and good. You looked good. But not very good. It wasn't. Yeah. I, you know, it's, not, it's not very good for seven years. <laughs> seven years of training. Um, and so that that's the point where I was like, okay, let's get serious. Like, what could I actually look like naturally? What what what, what is that? You know what I mean? Because I, I didn't necessarily assume that to look good, you had to be on steroids. But you know, I was like, you know, is that what it takes? Is that is that the only way to like be under ten percent body fat and have a good amount of size and and have a physique that other people would be like, damn, that person looks really good. So. That's when I started educating myself, and that kind of comes to where did this program even come from. So funny enough, one of the first people that turned me on to just more the uh, – he turned me on to flexible dieting and turned me on to just heavy compound weightlifting, very random, was a, he was a competitive powerlifter and bodybuilder. He would kind of flip between – sometimes he would, he, he would kind of compete in powerlifting because he was very strong. He also would do bodybuilding shows here and there. And um, strength, well, funny enough, like looking back on it, he was on a ton of drugs for sure. He said he wasn't. I didn't know enough <laughs> at the time to really like, I'm not that I really, I don't, I don't care. I don't care if people literally want, but I didn't know. I was like, I guess, I mean, he could be natural. The dude was like 50 and he's been lifting his entire life or 40 or whatever, 40 in his 40s or, fit, or maybe 50. But now that I'm <laughs> a bit more educated, no, <laughs> there's no way that he was natural. But <clears throat> what was unique about that though is that normally, well, there, he was somebody on drugs that also knew the difference between not being on drugs and being on drugs in terms of training, because it is different. Um, you know, that's where you can sit in the gym. When you're on enough drugs, you can sit in the gym for three, four hours a day and do set after set after set and and, and, and continue to grow and be able to, and you can recover from that. And you also, you'll find a lot of people that are on drugs that are not necessarily doing nearly as much heavy compound type stuff because you have to watch out with your joints and you know, your muscles feel very strong and you think you can do all this weight and then all of a sudden your shoulder blows out or your knees or you know, your elbow or back or whatever. So um, you'll generally find people on drugs, their programs are very high volume. You're talking like the stuff you see in that in a lot of magazines, probably just 20, 25 sets per workout and lots and lots of reps. Um, <clears throat> so this guy, he actually didn't train like that. Uh, in well, I mean, I guess he, I never trained with him, but he said he didn't, and he didn't recommend that to me. He was the first person to turn me on to, so he was like, okay, one, you want to get leaner? It's just calories and macros. Here, here are some numbers. Eat these numbers. Eat that every. Eat, just hit those numbers every day. I don't care what you eat. You're gonna lose fat. And I was like, what? No, come on. Is it really that simple? And because again, I was just ignorant, and I kind of knew I was ignorant, so I didn't even argue with him. But I did it, and that was the first time I ever got lean. So I went from like maybe 16% or so, and I went all the way down. My first time, was that a straight shot to like 8%? I may have gone to like 10% and then reverse. No, I didn't reverse. Yeah, I think I just really like wrote it right down to 8% or so. And 8%, and 8%, pretty 8%, small. 8% is a six-pack territory, or is that 6%? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's where you can start getting you know, ab vein stuff, like, you're, you're lean. Okay. Uh, 
yeah, so 78% is, is full six-pack. Even when you're not flexing, you have very little. You kind of just pinch skin. Like when you pinch anywhere on your stomach, it's just kind of skin. It's not, you know, peep or thin skin. That's when you're talking like 4 or 5%, which you're not going to get to without drugs, period. Um, these cutting drugs, I mean, there's just no way. Um, well, I mean, I guess I can't. It's possible, but you're going to feel like, you're going to feel really bad and you're going to look depleted. And it's just, but, it's but just Mike, healthy, Mike, so. I, I'm on your program yeah. and I got to 6% very quickly and I've, I've been a fat bloke all my life. So it, it can be done. I, I'm not, are you I'm, sure though? Are you sure, are you sure you're at 6%? Because some people think they're at 6%. I, I, I'm, I'm convinced. Like, I'm convinced I've tricked myself. But, I, you know, nevertheless, I have... Because 6% is like straight shredded. 6% oh, is, is like, <laughs> you cannot... I, I've, been, I've, gotten that, I've gotten that lean for photo shoots, and you can't pinch, like, your skin everywhere. Like, it doesn't matter. You can grab what the, the fattiest area of your body that's normally fatty is now just like nothing. Really? But I just, I just want to, yeah, I just yeah, want to stress. Yeah, if you want to check out, if you want to check out, I wrote an article on it. Go when we're done here. Go on legionathletics.com and search for body fat. And I put up an article that um, I think well, it has a bunch of pictures and kind of also lays out that every form of testing is inaccurate and it has its own problems. So when we're talking body fat percentages, what we're really talking about is educated guesses. Even if you get a DEXA scan, it's an educated guess. So. Ultimately, it kind of doesn't matter. The number doesn't really matter. We're just saying that it's a proxy for a look. So when I say 8%, what I really mean is I might have been 9%. I might have been 7%. It's hard to say, you know, with certainty. Um, but what I'm talking about is full six-pack without flexing. You know, you're, you're not pinching fat anywhere, really. It's just very little. It almost just feels like skin. That's, that's the 8% range and as you get leaner it just becomes more pronounced you get more vascularity in your abs you get more vascularity everywhere you know blah 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 so you got to eight percent and you were from this this power lift showed showed you how you were shocked and so so and yeah, how, yeah. How, how long did it take to go from lifting the heavy weights and cutting back on the calories to suddenly having having the physique that most people want men or women you know that kind of fitness model physique you have how long, yeah. it, how long does it take? Well, yeah, I mean, that first cut, it's a good question. Um, I want to say it was probably about six months with that first cut. It, may have been, it might have been a little bit. It was, it was years ago now, so it's hard, hard for me to put an exact number on it. I'm going to say it was no longer than six months. They're talking about losing about, I lost about 8 or 9% body fat and probably about 10% of my body weight because you lose water and collection and stuff too. So I went for about 100 and, let's say, I went for about 200 pounds, 200 and change to about 178 that's the lowest i ever saw on a scale i remember that um <clears throat> so you know i want to say yeah probably about six months maybe a little bit maybe five months or so and um it's just a process of just whittle down whittle down whittle down whittle down, and stick to my diet and i was very very strict on that i never you know i just didn't cheat at all i just stuck to my meal plan ate my foods and did my workouts and went on with my life and um and did it and at the end uh i, I it was good like i was lean but i was like damn i'm actually kind of small like now that i got rid of a lot of this fat I, I would like to be i would like to be this lean but like 190 pounds i think that's the look that i want can i can i do that naturally is that possible i've been lifting for seven years and this is what i've got um and so then from there i, I really started educating myself and that was mainly just reading i mean of course i, I started with reading the, the 
classic books starting strengths and um, there, there aren't very many great books unfortunately uh, but with the toast stuff uh, you know practical programming is a great book and on the diet side of things there are some better books now but I got the majority of my information on dieting just from actually just reading scientific papers I mean there are a lot of very good um, reviews particularly like clinical trials are great uh, but what have really helped me was reading reviews so you have you know uh, domain experts um, like a good if, you, if anyone listening wants to get a very good example of this search for Eric Helms's and Alan Aragon's review of natural bodybuilding um, if you just put that into Google Eric Helms um, like natural bodybuilding study or something like that uh, it's free on PubMed you can read it and you will learn so much if you just read that and so that's where I then because also of course because of the nature of you know scientific literature they're citing uh, a bunch of other studies uh, to as, as evidence or proof of the things that they're saying and what's the justification for it and then you can go off and read those some are not available free you'd have to pay I have access to everything because I have friends in college that just give me their logins so I can I, I can access any journal I want and I can actually get papers so I'm not just looking at abstracts um, and so that's a good place to start so uh, scientific reviews have helped a ton and then there are people in this space whose work I really and who are these are like you know scientists guys like uh, Schoenfeld I actually know I'm not saying Brad Schoenfeld or Schoenfeld um, Eric Helms Alan Aragon um, I like Lyle McDonald's work I mean, he's a funny dude his personality he, he's a bit out there but he does good work um, yeah, so there's a handful of people. Examine.com is a great resource for for some. But Mike, Mike, what, Mike, Mike, why do you think people come to you? I mean, you know, you didn't invent uh, weightlifting, you didn't invent dieting, um, Not at all, no. but I've never seen a kind of delivery system so uh, clean and helpful. Um, so why why did you suddenly decide to do this? Did you see that there was a a gap in the market? Did you see that there was yeah. There just wasn't anything like this. I mean, genuinely, I, I was shocked by it. Actually, when I first read it, I thought it was probably going to be nonsense, and, and I was shocked. Yeah, I know. And so that, I mean, that's exactly what it was. I saw that, that this was the book that I wish I had in the beginning. Like, that's actually yeah. what it was. It was like, why hasn't someone done this? Why hasn't yeah. someone after? So after several years of, of studying and then just putting it, again, this is not stuff that I figured out. And I, and I say that all over the place. I'm not saying, I'm not a scientist. I'm not some brilliant, super genius person. I just, and I'd say I'm good at researching. I'm good at studying and understanding things and applying things and seeing how things work. That is something I'm good at. But this is, I'm just taking, you know, the, stuff that other people have already, you know, you'll find, especially dieting, like we have this so taped that in, in the medical literature, if you look at obesity research going back, I mean, metabolic research going back a century, they knew the energy balance was the key to weight loss, you know, gain, maintenance, and, 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 and how, macro, how the different macronutrients interact in the body, protein, carbohydrates, fat, and how that changes fat loss to, you know, if you get it wrong, you'll lose a bunch of muscle, and if you get it right, you won't. These are things that are well-known in scientific circles, but just not broadly available to, not ex I guess, you know, to the layman, to just everybody out there that says, hey, I just want to lose 20 pounds and look better and feel better. And, you know, for that person will be sent off onto a wild goose chase of, you know, fad diets and detoxes and cleanses and uh, all kinds of nonsense. So that's exactly what it was where I was like, 
I'm just going to write the book that I wish I had. And here's everything that I've learned along the way that not only has worked for me, but has good uh, is evidence-based uh, advice that I, it's not just me saying I know a bunch of things, but it's me saying, look, here's what the science says. Here's what this means. Here's how this plays out. And here's what you can expect when you do it. And let's put, let's put it in a, you know, I want, I want to write things very simply. I'm not trying to show off my vocabulary. I'm not trying to show off my expertise in any way. I just want people to understand how to do it. And if they understand how to do it and they do it, it'll get results and they'll, t- they'll tell people about it. They'll be like, this is, you know, and now I've gotten that so many times where people are like, this is the first fitness book I've read that not only made sense, but worked exactly as you said it would. And they're like, they're just amazed. Um, I remember, so, I remember yeah, years I mean, ago, years ago, I bought the um, Encyclopedia of Bodybuilding by Arnold Schwarzenegger. And that's great. It's amazing, especially right. if you love Arnie. I mean, yeah, you know. Yeah, cool it's like nostalgic almost. Here. Yeah, so it's super cool. But you can do that till you're blue in the face. But if you don't know about the dieting element or, you know, the cardio element in your book, um, you know, it doesn't mean anything, does it? Yeah. And also, I mean, speaking about that specifically, those workouts are too too much for your average natural weightlifter. They're just too much. Like, the weekly volume is way too high. Um, for your average person, that they'll fall behind in recovery. Even in, even in caloric surplus, and you know, I, I also I know that just from speaking with a lot of people that have tried those programs. Even the beginners program in that book is like intense, and and the, the advanced program is you can forget it unless you're an advanced weightlifter with a lot of experience and probably going to need drugs to be able to recover from. Uh, I mean, Arnold's workouts. He was known for his just like the brutality of his workouts that other bodybuilders on all the same drugs with great genetics couldn't even get through his workouts. Um, so, you know, I think the book is great and I think Arnold definitely, uh, made that book to help. Uh, you know what I mean? It's just, it's just, um, for the advice, it doesn't work very, very well for your average person, especially not if you add some age into it. So like a lot of people that, that follow my program are they're not 18, they're in their 30s and in their 40s, in some cases even 50s and 60s. And the, one of the things that you lose as you age is, is the recovery. Um, you, in, and anyone, you know, you just experience that as you get older. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't recover at all and you can't now train hard, but you can get away with a lot more uh you know, uh, abuse when you're 18 than when you're 45. So where, where are people going wrong in the gym? You know, we're coming up to summer and there are men and women pounding the treadmills at the moment. Uh, what is it they're getting wrong? Uh, well, quite a few things. I mean, if we were kind of just to say what are the big things, um, you know, we have on the diet side, not, not understanding energy balance and how caloric intake uh, affects weight gain and weight loss. Um, on the on the mat, and then there's also not understanding how protein, carbohydrates, and fats need to be uh, balanced, or or how to set those up so you lose fat and not lose muscle, uh, because that both your caloric intake and your macronutritional profile greatly uh, affect that. Um, so I'd say those are probably the biggest mistakes on, on the diet. Instead, people are, are, you know, so focused on food choices, and they think that the, the key to, to losing fat is eating these foods and not eating these foods, and that's 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 just not the case. Um, if, if restricting foods causes you to be in a caloric deficit because now you can't eat this 
many of the high calorie foods as you normally eat, then of course it can help you lose weight. But if you're that that's miss uh, uh, that's miss you know that's ascribing the wrong uh, cause. That's thinking that you lost weight because you restricted food. Uh, because you know the, the the dairy was making you fat or the grains were making you fat, but that's not what was happening. What actually happened is you just reduced your caloric intake enough to lose weight, and regardless of the food you're eating. So I'd say that those are the big diet mistakes. And on you know, and on the training side, um, you know, poor, there's poor workout programming like what I used to do, where you have these very long, high volume, high rep workouts where you just absolutely destroy a, a body part once a week, and you get so sore that you know. You, sore to the touch and then you do that again every week and a lot of isolation exercises and very little heavy compound lifting that's a mistake um you know if you're new to weightlifting you can get away with it and you can make progress because literally doing anything is going to do something but uh, if you want to if you want to make progress beyond your first six months you know you're going to have to know a bit about uh you could say the science of hypertrophy of muscle growth and you don't have to Fortunately, you don't have to know all that much. You just have to understand some fundamentals and put things in, in play and use them in, in, in programming your workouts, um, which one of those points is a, just another big mistake that people make is not progressively overloading the muscles. So um, there, it's the rep range that you're working with or the one rep max, percentage of one rep max is not as important as the progressive overload, meaning that you are adding weight to the bar over time. That's the easiest way to progressive overload, especially when you are new to weightlifting. So that means that if you want to get bigger, you need to get stronger. And of course, there's a point where it's not as easy to do that, and then you can incorporate some higher rep stuff where you're increasing reps. And but that leave that for you know year three on, let's say uh, for the first few years, you have a lot of strength to gain and. As you gain that strength, you will gain muscle, but you gain that strength by increasing the weight you're lifting. So what a lot of people do is they just have a weight and they just work with that weight and do as many reps as they can. And then next time, a lot of people don't even track their workouts. so They don't really even know what they're doing on a week-to-week basis. But even if they do, maybe they'll try to get a few more reps. And maybe they won't even get that. Maybe they'll just end up doing the same reps. And what I see a lot of people, they just fall into a rut where they're just kind of doing the same exercises and the same uh, rep schemes every week. And maybe they gain a rep here and there. Maybe then they lose a rep here and there. And there's no real progress. And if you were to put it, if you were to just put their one rep max calculated uh, on a graph, it really wouldn't change much over time. Um, and that's that's a mistake. And then I would say uh, something also just, you know, is common is it's just inconsistency. So program hopping, thinking that uh, it's just you know they, they try a program and it didn't work as advertised, and they try another one doesn't work as advertised, as opposed to uh, taking it back to the fundamentals. Again, I could say the science of, of of building muscle and of gaining strength. How does how do these things interact? So then, you know, because my program is not super sexy. It's not. Uh, you know, there's nothing really fancy to it. I don't try to say it's fancy. It's just, it's kind of just hard work. And you're doing a lot of the same exercises every week. There is some variation every two months or so, but, you know, you're always squatting, deadlifting, overhead pressing, bench pressing. You're always pushing to make progress on those lifts as opposed to, you know, trying the latest, uh, you know, metabolic acceleration techniques and the, you know, muscle confusion type stuff. There's just a lot of that. I myself used to do all that stuff and didn't necessarily believe in the theory behind it. I just did it to see what would happen. 
Um, so I'd say those are probably the biggest mistakes. But how did you come about your your? There's a three minute wait between each set of of reps. Um, yeah. And th- that's that. Yeah, that's there's, that, there's, that's there's actually quite a bit of research out there. How, how did you even come up with that? Because at first I was a bit bored out of my brains, and then it became quite meditative, and then I, I realized how much stronger you were when you went back to the weights. I mean, how did you even? That's very rare for a program for that kind of insight. I know, I know, and that that comes from the strength training world, and there's actually quite a bit of uh, scientific research on that. There's a study that I just was looking at yesterday. Another one. I mean, I referenced several in the book, and then there's another one now that just came out. Um, it's just. It, it, it's, it's good like that it's good that there are studies on it but then this is one of those simple things like you just said you just go do it and you're like oh yeah that works like i am noticeably stronger and i'm <laughs> yeah. able to now yeah you know what i mean you're like I, I don't have to drop the weight like i can and then so um so yeah that, that's that's that comes from the, the world of strength training that's like a thing i know it's not normal in bodybuilding it's all about you know uh either either from the point of like got to keep the pump going you rest one minute yet or from the point of like oh stop burning you got to burn a bunch of calories so you got to you know just superset and only rest and then do your cardio in between your sets and um it's very much that like oh your workouts have to be super intense and i'm i I, my style of training is more your sets are intense i mean when you're you know doing when you're squatting with 85 percent of your one rep max it's pretty intense it's not easy um so you have that high intensity period of doing, you know, where you're really like putting everything you've got into it. And then you have the low intensity recover and then, you know, you get back into it and it's uh, high intensity. So, you know, I wouldn't say it's like hit for weightlifting, but it's just, uh, you need that time to recover when you're working with those heavy weights. If you were to try to rest just a minute, you would have to take weight off the bar. There's no way that you'd be able to stick with the same weight because, you know, most people when they're working in this rep range, and especially if you're doing an exercise that is working a big muscle group or a lot of muscles like the squat or deadlift, you're going to need uh, a few minutes to just have your heart rate come down and, you know, your, your nervous system isn't all fired up anymore and, and you can actually get your next set. You know what I mean? But what, why, why, why when you do the exercise, is it only four to six reps? Why is no more than six reps the cutoff? Um, because that's about 85% of your one rep max. And, you know, I talk about a bit in the book. Uh, it's not so much that, again, I, as I mentioned earlier, the rep range, if we were to say that the best rep range for building muscle is going to be the rep range that you can give, you can do hard sets in, meaning that you can push yourself to a rep uh, or so short of failure and because you, you have to be able to progress. So what I've found, and this is now just something I've worked with so many people, there's there's a bit of support for this rep range or being working with 80 to 85% of one rep, one rep max in the literature where there are some studies that show that people working in that rep range have built muscle faster than people uh, working in a higher rep range. But what we know for a fact is that people gain strength faster working with heavier weights. And over time, that strength, if you're training properly and you are, you know, progressing, then that strength turns into muscle growth because you're able to add the weight to the bar faster, which means you're able to, or sooner, which means you're able to uh, progressively overload your muscles more, uh, you know, you know, better over, over the period of time as opposed to where if you didn't gain that strength and you still would be working with lighter weights. So there's some, there's that. And then there's also something to be said for that rep range, especially with people that are new to weightlifting is 
just very conducive to um, being able to hit that almost max effort every set without just wanting to give up. <laughs> because the very high rep stuff is just grueling. I mean, there are, I think of one study that compared higher rep with lower rep and found that the muscle growth was more or less the same, but the lower rep gained strength faster. Um, but if you read the paper, and there was also there's some commentary about it in the forum, that the people on the high rep program were throwing up in their workouts. Like it happened multiple times. Multiple people multiple times barfed in the middle of their workouts. That's how hard it is. And if anybody has done a true workout of 10 sets of 10 squats, uh, then you know how that feels. I've, I've done that before and almost vomited. So <laughs> if those are the, how your workouts, really, honestly, if those are your workouts, you're not going to look forward to that. Nobody looks forward to I don't care how alpha you are or whatever. No one looks forward to, let's go throw up in today's squat workout. We're very few people. That's not your average person. Um, so there's the, there's the enjoyability of workouts matters. If a program, even if it were scientifically optimal, and this is the absolute best way to build muscle and strength, if you hated the workouts, you would be better off doing something that is suboptimal that you actually enjoy because that's something you're going to be able to stick to. You know, a lot of, you know, you've heard the best diet is the one you can the best diet is the one you can stick to. Yeah. That applies to training too. Now, of course, you don't want to do something that is, you know, just crap and it's just terribly designed, but you happen to like it, like maybe CrossFit, <laughs> a lot of CrossFit uh you know, I, I wouldn't say CrossFit, everything is bad. There's a lot of that out there where it's just terribly designed workouts that people just like because of the camaraderie. Um, so that's where working in that rep range is nice because your sets are not super grueling. Your your muscles don't feel like they're on fire. And, and, cause it, and it also gets hard to know if you can even get another rep when you have so much lactic acid buildup and are you just giving up because it hurts so much or are you actually failing? You know, you're actually not that you have to go to absolute failure every set. Um, whereas with heavier weights, it's very cut and dried. You either that weight, you're doing your, your reps and, and then you're like, Nope, that is not going to happen. And that's it. You know what I mean? Um, so then there's also the time efficiency of it. So the higher volume your workouts are, more reps you're doing, the longer you're going to be in the gym. And, you know, uh, that's fine. It works. When I was 21 years old, it didn't, you know, I wasn't married. I'm married. I have a kid now. Yeah, I don't care. I sat in the gym for two hours a day with my friends. It was something, it was time, but, you know, it was hangout. It was fun. Uh, but now I don't have two hours a day to sit in the gym. You know, I want to be in and out 45, 60 minutes. So, and that's a lot of people are the same way. And, you know, I, I, I work out five days a week or, but, you know, some people even maybe they only have 45 to 60 minutes, three days a week. So what can that person do? Uh, how can they get the most out of that time? So that's also where emphasizing heavy compound like weightlifting is absolutely the most time efficient way to gain muscle and strength. So it was a combination of factors why I just decided. Also, I wanted to keep the program simple. That was something that I didn't like about other books and things I was looking at that even were like science-based and well thought out, but they were quite complex. And I know that myself, you know, getting into weightlifting for the first time, I would have looked at that and been like, so I have to build an Excel spreadsheet just to do this program. Like, and, 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 and things are changing and every week, you know, every week weight, weights are changing on bars and percentages of this and percentages of that. I wanted to keep something, I wanted to create something simple that's workable that can take somebody uh, not that this is the last program they ever have to do, but can take them, you know, through their first, let's say, two to three years and, and help them build that foundation of strength and muscle that um, 
in many cases, honestly, with a lot of success stories I have on my website, people, they get the body they want in the first, you know, two or three years, and then it's just to maintain from there because they're like, this is awesome. Um, but then there are people that, you know, they want to squeeze every last ounce of muscle growth out of their bodies, and this isn't the last program for that. You know what I mean? This is a great place to start, but from there, you're going to have to do some other things um, because things change when you when you're an intermediate advanced weightlifter, it you ha- it becomes harder to to continue to gain muscle and strength. You mentioned CrossFit, and I did want to go back to it because there's a picture on your on your website about uh, and it says um, CrossFit five year transformation, and it's a picture of a man, <laughs> and then five years later it's the same picture. Um, what is it you're trying to say with that picture? But I think I think I've got the gist of it. But what is it you're saying there? Oh yeah, I mean, it's just a silly meme. It's something I just laugh at. I, I'm not a I'm not a CrossFit hater. I'm not an anything hater. Um, I think everything. But you make it makes a very you make a very clear point. I mean, it's not. I'm not saying it's a yeah, fad, it's, but it's, it's expensive for nothing. Just, like a lot of people, they don't they don't really get nothing much changes with CrossFit. You know what I mean? They, they're not. They could somebody could be doing CrossFit for a year, and you might not even think they they lift. You, might, you know what I mean? Um, whereas anybody that is on a good program and understands dieting in a year, there you should, they should very, not only a bodybuilder, but they clearly lift weights. Like they clearly, you know, cause even somebody with mediocre genetics should be able to gain a guy 15 pounds of muscle in the first year, maybe 20. Um, maybe that's, that would require a little bit better genetics. Let's just say 15 is like a real baseline. And, and some people might say that like, eh, it should be more like 20 baseline and 25 with great genetics, but regardless, we're talking about, and it doesn't sound like that much. I mean, we're talking about, think of uh, 16 ounces of steak and, you know, that's, there's a pound of muscle and put that all over your body. You know, that, that, that's actually quite a bit. That's like where people, if they didn't see you for that year, they'd be like, what, what, what are you, what are you doing? Holy shit. Um, I, so may I just, may I just interject? I need to interject and say that that's absolutely true because yeah, yeah. I, I look like a bin bag full of custard and then I started your program and it fell up. I look totally different. I mean, it's still me, but I look different. It's quite amazing. And a lot of people say their programs do that, but they don't, do they? There's so many charlatans. Right. Yeah, yeah. and, and there's just so much of that in this space. It's, I mean, maybe this is how a lot of industries are, but this, this is really my first real foray into any, any industry, but it's particularly bad in the fitness industry. So but that's the thing with CrossFit. It's just, you know, a lot of a lot of you know, to, to get a certification to open a CrossFit gym, I think you have to like go to a weekend course or something. So you're going to have CrossFit coaches that are actual professionals that are, you know that they've been in Olympic lifting, they've been a Olymp- uh, coach for Olympic lifting, and they know what they're doing, and they like CrossFit for various reasons. So they get into that, and they, they take care of their people, and they teach them proper form, and they you know they know how to program workouts, so they're not just crushing people and and you know, hurting people because I've known quite a few people personally that have gotten injured uh, in CrossFit and almost one-to-one actually. <clears throat> but, they, you know, they, in the area that I live, they would all go to the same CrossFit gym and it must suck because I, I think there's four that I know that went there and within six months were injured. One had to get knee surgery. It's just like, it's just nonsense. So, um, <clears throat> you know, on the, on the flip side though, I can say that a good thing about CrossFit is, is is it's introducing a lot of people, not just to exercising and training, but uh, to 
weightlifting and, and, and barbell training. So it is doing that, and um, I'm benefiting from CrossFit, so I can't say that much, just because it brings more people into fitness, and maybe they do CrossFit for a bit, and they don't really like it that, and so, you know, they get turned off, but then they come and find, they're like, well, I'm going to look for something else, and maybe they find me. So, you know, I'm not anti-CrossFit. I, I just wish that it was, they had a bit stricter, uh, wish they had a bit stricter with their certifications, and a bit more standardized in their um, approach, and, you know, where you would see a bit more uniformity among different CrossFit gyms and you wouldn't have people that are brand new to weightlifting being told to done, being told to do like AMRAP deadlifts with 75% of the one rep max because that's just a way that, I mean, you're just asking to get hurt. And, and in, in, in the same vein, um, you've kind of hit the supplements world with Storm, haven't you? Because you've got your own line of supplements, you've got your podcast, you've got the website Muscle for Life. Uh, you've obviously got the book, Big Lean Stronger, Thin Lean Stronger. Uh, it's all going on, and then you're doing supplements as well. Why did you go after the supplements? Um, you, you actually have a, a, a bit of a, a problem with that industry, don't you? Well, yeah, because I mean, supplements, most supplements are, are shit, especially supplements that are in retail stores because the retail model doesn't allow you to make good products because you have to make things for an eighth to a tenth of what they retail for. And in, in many industries, that's fine. You know, the, the, the Nike shirt that I'm wearing right now, I don't know what I paid for it, but whatever it was, I'm sure Nike didn't spend more than a 15th on it to make it. Uh, what, what I paid, maybe even a 20th, who knows? That doesn't bother me. It's a shirt, and I just like how it fits. So I bought it, and I wear it. I'm not trying. Nike didn't say this shirt's going to change my life. They just put it on a rack somewhere, and I bought it. So supplements are different in that, one, they're sold like they're the key to muscle growth, and they're the key to fat loss, and, you know, there are some supplements, so things will come out, this is, this is as good as steroids, and it's so over the top, and it's so exaggerated, and there's so much hyperbole in the space. And then on top of that, you have crap products. If, if supplement companies were to sell their products like, this, is, this pre-workout, like, isn't really good, it has a little bit of caffeine, which you'll like, <laughs> and it has like has a couple ingredients that are underdosed. It, they're good ingredients, but we don't have enough money to put enough in there to make it really matter. So maybe you'll feel a little bit of a difference. And yeah, buy it or don't buy it. It doesn't really matter. If, if they were to sell their shit like that, then then, I, then I'd be like, all right, well, at least that's all. I mean, they're honest. That, that's the truth. <laughs> but that's um, that's across the board, so, isn't it? That's across the boards. There's, there's, the supplements yeah. are... Yeah, I mean, it really is. When we're talking about now, it, I can, I'm not. I'm not going to say that's every company, every product. And that'd be a ridiculous statement. But if you go into retail stores, yes, like again, because that, I mean, you can often nutrition. Their protein is good. It tests well. Like there's an example of a product that yes, it's sold in retail stores, but it's actually a good product. Um, and you know, now that makes sense because they're so vertically integrated. I mean, Glandia owns the farms, they own everything. So they can afford to do that. They can afford to, they don't have to, you know, spike their protein. They don't have to do any shenanigans because, you know, they, uh, they have a monopoly on way. <laughs> and, but you know, that's not, that's not most companies. So I saw an opportunity to one, make the type of products on myself going back to the book, wish we're out there and not even so much from like a muscle building fat loss perspective. I mean, we do have a creatine product and creatine is good for building muscle. That's been studied. There are hundreds of studies on creatine and we do have a couple of products that can help with fat loss, mm -hmm. but also from a health perspective, like 
I, I love our multivitamin because it's so stacked and it's something you wouldn't find. You're not going to find another multivitamin like that simply because how much it costs me to produce. It will never, ever be in a retail store. No retailer would ever take it unless, well, I mean, you'd have to cut out the distributor first thing and then a retailer would have to be okay with a, a smaller margin than they're used to basically. And I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon. Um, same thing with my green supplement. So I saw an opportunity basically to cut out the middlemen, so to cut out, because right now, currently, if a supplement is made by a supplement company, whatever, ABC, it then goes to a, a distributor or a wholesaler who wants their, so the manufacturer gets their markup to the wholesaler, and the wholesaler gets their markup to the retailer, and the retailer gets their markup to um, the customer, and generally speaking, everybody wants about a 50% margin or a 100% markup, so you know, do the math, that's, that's how it comes down, uh, that's how it all breaks down. So in my case, I was like, okay, I know internet marketing and um, I have a following on the internet and I'm selling books on the internet and I have a website that's very popular. I can cut out, I can be the manufacturer and the retailer and cut all that out and I can spend that money instead of just giving it to middlemen, I can give it to my manufacturer and theoretically I should be able to produce good products if I'm willing to spend five times as much as my competitors, right? Like theoretically. And that's, that's how it played out, actually. So in, in, in the beginning, um, you know, we've been working with a couple people that, um, I mean, I'm, I'm educated in supplements, uh, but not as much as the people we work with that also help with the formulations. I mean, they have degrees in this, and they're just super smart. And so in the beginning, in working with them, we're like, okay, let's make um, uh, the ultimate pre-workout. Like, I don't care about price. Just every single thing that you wish was in a pre-workout or that we wish was in a pre-workout, let's make it. Pre- pre-workout being what? Pre- pre-workout being something that uh, makes you uh, kind oh, of charge yeah, like you Like an energy, you know, imp- yeah, yeah. Has some caffeine and has some other things to improve your performance, right? Okay. Um, so it came back at like $70 a bottle. And they're like, okay, oh, our cost. We're like, okay, well, that doesn't work. <laughs> but uh, where, which of, and we found out like one of the ingredients is like, it was so expensive. It's like more expensive than cocaine. It's crazy. So, all right, fine. That ingredient, you know, we, we can't use because one thing we weren't willing to compromise on is the dosage. We had to stick with dosages that are the actual dosages used in scientific studies proving benefits. I wasn't going to, you know, take say, hey, look at all this research on beta-alanine. Look, it can improve your your uh, your performance um, here. And then be like, oh, but uh, <clears throat> if you take five grams, and I only put 500 milligrams, but, um, you know, don't, don't, don't look at it. Don't, don't, don't look at it. <laughs> just, just ignore that. So, so you know, if, if it takes five grams, or uh, it's four to five grams what you want of beta-alanine, then I need to have four to five grams in my product or I'm not going to use the ingredient. So really that meant that some ingredients we had to just get rid of altogether because they're so expensive. Like an example is in my green supplement, I wanted to have a molecule, it's called anthocyanin. It's uh, the pigment in fruits, like in blueberries and uh, the, the blueberries are rich in it. And, um, and it's uh, very good for the body, various reasons why I wanted to have that in the green supplement. But unfortunately, to get an amount that would be justifiable or an amount that I could point to research and say, this is why this ingredient is here, and this is why I chose this dosage, it was going to cost me $30 a bottle just for that one ingredient. So, you know, it's a benefit process of cost-benefit. Uh, you know, well, how much, if I have $30 in, in one ingredient cost and then everything else, like, are people willing to pay, you know, over $100 for a uh, green supplement? I don't think so. So then it has to, we have to weigh 
well, what, what do we want to do to cut this cost down? In this case, we decided to take the anthocyanins out altogether. In other cases, you know, there are ingredients where we're like, we like this ingredient, and but it's very expensive. If we dropped it, we might be able to gain three other substances that together we think are even better. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just a process to really narrow it all down. But that was basically the opportunity was like, uh, I'm just going to make a really good product and I'm just going to sell them direct to consumer online and cut out the middlemen. And, you know, it's a bit of a disruptive type of business model that we see um, popping up all over the place, actually, especially I've seen it in fashion, like with, with glasses and clothing, things that have really high margins um, where you can make really good, you know, glasses for people and make really good clothing, high quality stuff and sell it around the same price uh, as what they're already paying for lower quality stuff. So, and that was kind of the idea to just do it in supplements. But then talk to me about um, uh, your app as well, Stacked, because because is that basically distilling all your knowledge uh, into this one app? I mean, I'm very excited about it. Um, Again, you know, I I am a fanboy because I'm on your program and I think it works. But how does that, how's that going to work with the app? So the app I'm super excited about, um, just because it's going to be great. Like my pitch is I'm building an app that's actually going to be worth using. And it's kind of sad that that's the pitch. And that's the pitch that resonates. People are like, that sounds good. Like anyone that is into weightlifting, when they hear that, they immediately know what I'm talking about. Like my app is going to be better than your notepad uh, app or your Google Sheets if you are you know, fancy. <laughs> and that's just simply because I have, I've used so many different apps over the years and have always just gone back to either a pen and paper or just journal uh, or notepad app on my phone or Google Sheets, depending on there's certain programs I've done that were a bit fancier that you needed some calculations done and build a Google Sheet for that. Um, but so this app, that's my goal is to make a workout app actually worth using and that is elegant and intuitive. Um, and when you're in the gym doing your workouts, it's not clunky and in your way. And that's where I feel uh, at least every workout app that I've used has boiled down to that where I'm like, this thing is just annoying. I'd rather just write, uh, I'd rather just use my notepad app or I'd rather just write on a piece of paper. And um, so what that boils down to it's just a lot of little things. There's a lot of attention to detail that has gone into this app um, in terms of the, the user interface and the user experience. And I think, honestly, one of the problems with a lot of these other workout apps is that the people that built them don't work out. Mm. They, they don't, there's like, there's some, of these, some of these apps are so poorly designed or so poorly executed when like you wonder, like, does this person... Do they have they ever even done? Have they ever even lifted a weight? Do they realize that this is annoying as shit? Like you don't want to have to do this when you're in the gym or do that, or why can't you do this? Why can't you do that? Um, so I'm really, really, I'm going to go for a very smooth user experience where you feel like it actually is contributing to your workout. Like for example, um, why hasn't an app? created a simple little interface for doing plate math for you. So, you know, you want to put 275 pounds on the bar. How do you do that? You want to put 295 pounds on the bar. How do you do that? Um, Or you want to put plates on the bar using an interface and it just tells you the weight. Little things like that that are in this app. So, like, if you put, if, if you're going to put 275 pounds, you enter that. It's on a screen when you're doing a workout. 
there's, uh, if you're doing a barbell exercise, it shows a barbell and it's going to show the number of plates on either side of the bar. And it's done, it, 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 it's done elegantly. It looks very nice. Um, and so a lot of little things like that, that, that are going to be useful. And, um, and then there's uh, a whole feature, a whole, a whole, a whole set of features that are going to revolve around tracking your progress. And I haven't liked how little thought has gone into that in other apps where you just get a couple lane graphs and that's it. You can't overlay graphs. You can't look for any sort of correlations in data. Um, just kind of lazy. So that's going to be, um, fairly, it's going to be pretty robust. And then I'm going to be building in the diet side of things. Why isn't there an app that allows you to plan and track your workouts and your diets and your diet? and your numbers, your calories, your macros, and we're going to do some other cool stuff. Um, so all of this is, is uh, going to go into this app. And, you know, we're also going to be, this isn't going to be on launch, but we're going to be building in to the, to the training section of the app. <clears throat> it's going to be, it's basically going to allow you to program fairly complex workout programs into the app. So especially strength training programs where the weights change every week and you have to deal with percentages of one rep max. And it, 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 it's not super complex, but you have to either download a spreadsheet or you have to make one. Um, so that's going to be built into the app. So you're going to, let's say you want to switch to this, you know, more advanced type program. You're just going to be able to activate it and it'll, it'll do everything for you. It's going to tell you, cool, here are your workouts. This is what you're going to be doing this week. Um, here's what you're going to do next week, blah, blah, blah. And, um, so, you know, there's just going to be a lot of things, again, that a lot of a lot of little details that a weightlifter, a real weightlifter is going to appreciate. So so when's the app going to come out? And also, when in Europe do we get to have your supplements? Because we can't seem to get them in Europe. Yeah. Um, so, so the first question, um, the app, I'm going to say August release is realistic. Uh, development is going very well. Everything is on track. They're... Um, looking good actually they're doing a good job so i think august is a, is a safe uh estimate um worst case scenario would be one month longer but i honestly don't think that's going to happen um because they've been hitting their uh you know they, they work in sprints and weekly sprints and everything has been on target so that that, that should be that and then i'm going to be continuing to develop um you know, this is kind of a, an, an mvp a minimum viable product of the app which is it's going to be pretty extensive. It's going to be enough where you're like, I like this. It's not going to have everything I just talked about. Um, we're going to be developing it in phases. Uh, but, you know, the, the initial offering is going to be probably August. And then on supplements, um, the reason why we're not available, if we can ship overseas and we do a lot, but the reason why we don't have distribution set up yet is because, um, mainly because of money and logistics. So right now, we're there's just so much growth happening with Legion right now. It's great. And there's so much demand. We're just keeping up with demand here in the United States though. And we're holding off on different marketing initiatives that we know will dramatically increase sales like an affiliate program, for example, um, simply because we don't have the inventory to support it yet. Um, now, of course that means, you know, raising money and stuff and we're working on it. So, um, that's the only reason why we haven't taken on Europe yet, simply because I suspect to do the UK and EU right, I'm probably going to need a million dollars. That's probably, a, uh, it might even be low, but I, I don't think I'd be comfortable with anything less in terms of, and I need a million dollars just for inventory. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't have a million dollars to give that right now with everything else. So we're looking at later this year, um, probably Q3, Q4 will be when, 
cash flow is going to start uh, freeing up for that. That's our big UK is going to be first, um, and if if we can do EU as well, that's fine. But like the order of things, UK, EU, Canada, those, and then after that will be Australia. Um, so you know, it's just I'd love to be able to do it all, but it's just kind of one one thing at a time given the resources that we have, you know. You know, you, you mentioned your business is flourishing. Um, something that interested me was the fact that uh, you seem to have a book club as well, that you make your staff read various books. Um, how do you fit that all into your daily routine? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what does your daily routine look like? And where does all the reading come into it? Because for me, that's one of the most curious things about you and your business, the, the fact that you're quite a voracious reader and you always post books up that you love. That That's also unique. You know, you're kind of, building your body and building your mind. I mean, that that's also quite rare in this industry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, that's that's something, again, that I guess I've always enjoyed learning and, and studying, so that's just kind of been ingrained in my personality or my temperament or whatever. Um, so in terms of, of time, I have a pretty simple routine. Uh, I, I get up about 6.15, and then in the morning, before that, I go to the gym first thing. So um, in the morning, I'll usually, like, listen to a podcast of some kind. I like to listen to – I'll try to find interviews with people that I find that are interesting, that maybe I can learn something from. But then when I'm driving, so I drive to the gym, I listen to uh, an audio book. And what I do, though, is I have uh, – whenever I'm listening to an audio book, I also have the Kindle version of the book on my phone. So, um, like, I read at night. My actual sit-there reading a book time is at night before bed. And I get a lot of audiobook time in uh, outside of that, though, which allows me to get through, I'd say, 150 to 250 pages a week, depending on what I'm reading. What I'm reading right now is a book called Thinking Fast and Slow, which is a fantastic book. One of my favorite psychology, quote-unquote, be smarter type of books I've read, actually. Um, and it's very dense, though, so it's a slower it's a slower grind. And also, when I read, I clarify. If I come across words that I don't know what they mean or I don't think I know what they mean, I, I, I like to clarify them in the dictionary. So that just, it's a, obviously the dictionary is easy. I can just highlight the word and it pulls the definition, but it just adds time. And, you know, I, I like to make sure that I understand the definition of the word. And sometimes you have to find the definition that fits the context because it's not always the first one. So that makes things a little bit slower. And depending, like, if I'm reading something more academic, like what I'm reading right now, it just takes longer because it's you have to think more. Sometimes I have to pause it and actually, like, process what they said or whatever. Um, so, 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 so just can I just so, 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 so you get yeah, up. Yeah. You, I know you go, so before we jump to the gym bit, because um, you mentioned before you go to the gym in the morning, uh, you, when do you listen to the podcast? And then do you do you just like when I'm going to the bathroom and getting my vitamins ready and stuff, you know? And then, uh, but with the with the reading, and I the, let my dog back. And then, but with the reading in the evening, you'll continue off from where you stopped with the pod with the uh, the audio book. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I get, I, I drive about 20 minutes, about 10 minutes to the gym, 20, 10 minutes to the office. Sometimes I read in the gym as well in between sets, depending on, it, it can be actually a bit distracting, it can be hard. Like, if I'm winded, it's hard to concentrate, but sometimes I do that as well. Um, uh, so, so I have the Kindle, so what I do when I'm reading is I, I like to study, not just read. So, uh, I make highlights, I, I, you know, make notes if I have ideas and thoughts and things. Um, so to do that, like all I do is if I'm, if I'm driving and I hear something I like and I have a thought, I, I'll either just keep it in my mind or I'll pause the audio book and wait for another red light. And then I'll make, I, I don't, I just 
transcribe the notes. I just use like the dictate. So if I had a thought, I'm like, well, that's interesting. I want to, it's like marginalia. You know what I mean? I can, I can save the note in the Kindle app. And what's great is it all gets synced to the cloud. So um, I can, you know, then go and review any book that I've read, which is what I also do. But that allows me now where I'm not just listening to an audio book and who knows what I, you know, it's just kind of words going in one ear out the other. It's I'm able to study. Uh, and, and yeah, sometimes, I mean, it's not, it's not as, as time efficient as sitting down because if I'm driving, I'm not, I don't pay attention to my phone. Like sometimes I just have to pause it and I have to just wait for a red light. And especially in the morning, like there's no, there's really no cars on the road or whatever. And I, I don't do that always. I, I kind of just sound smart about it. So I'm not being reckless. Um, but that's, that's also just because that's how I like to read. Some people, they just listen to audiobooks and they get what they get out of it. And of course that person, yeah, you can, you can burn through audiobooks if you drive a lot. Um, my process is just a bit more, uh, you know, logistically complicated. Um, and so, so then I, I do the same thing when I walk my dog. So I, I do about a 15, 20 minute walk every day. So I, so I get more listening time in and then I'm also reading at night. So, you know, it adds up. Um, and that, that, that's where I fit in. That's how I fit in the reading. And then on the weekends, I, I also, I'm not driving, so I'm not going to the gym, but, uh, I, I get in listening time. I, I walk my dogs and, you know, I just fit in about an hour on Saturday, an hour on Sunday between reading and listening. So, you know, it all just adds up. So you think about a book a week? Yeah, and again, it depends. I would say like uh, 150 to 250 pages. So it depends on the books. Recently, I've been reading these long books. Uh, like I, I read recently a, a biography on John D. Rockefeller Sr. And that was in a 900-page book. And the dude has a very good vocabulary, a very, very good writer, <laughs> like, really amazing. And so, so I, that one took me a bit longer. I, I think I actually got through it in about a, in a month, but, yeah. you know, that, that was a, that, that, that was work. Um, so, <laughs> now, some of these books, like, the book, the book club books that we do here at the office are generally shorter, so, yeah, I'll burn through those sometimes in five days, um, you know, but it really depends on what I'm reading. Like, this book, Thinking Fast and Slow, I'd say I'm probably averaging 150 pages a week, uh, just because it's, it's, a, it's a denser book, you know what I mean? I'm, I would have to spend a lot of time to read that book in one week. So yeah, so, so then I do my workout, and then I come to the office, and usually here about 8.30 or so, maybe 8.15, depending on, you know, morning stuff or whatever. And then I just work, and, you know, I take maybe 15 minutes for lunch. We all sit down and eat some food uh, here at the office together. And um, I'm here until 5.30 or 6 or so, go home, walk my dogs, uh, eat some food, spend some time with my wife and my son, get back on the computer, maybe 7, 7.30, and then usually it's just kind of work straight through until about 11. Um, I take a shower before I get on the computer, so all that's done. And then uh, and then I read, um, and I usually go to sleep around 11.45, and um, so I get, you know, on average, maybe 30, 45 minutes of reading time in, um, uh, in addition to all the listening and stuff, so it just kind of adds up, and that's pretty much it, man. I just do the same. I'm very much a routine person. I don't, I'm not a, like... I just may, again, it's my personality. I can do the same thing every day for a very long period of time before it ever really occurs to me that I'm a robot. <laughs> but is, is that, the, is, that the, is that the secret to success then, being robotic with the right habits? I 
I mean, honestly, I think it's a huge thing. It's not, it's one of the things that was funny when I was reading that uh, biography of John Rockefeller. He was very much the same way. He had an exact routine every day. He did not deviate from his routine. <laughs> and so he would wake up at this time. He would eat this food. He would do this. He would, in his later years, he'd be on the golf course from this time to this time. Then he would do his letters. Then he would do his meetings. And then it, 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 he would not change it for anything. He even, like, on his wedding day was he... He still did his work, and he like fit his wedding around his routine. Now he was extreme. I'm not saying I'm that bad, but it's outrageous. There's, there's, there's something to be said for that, though, because <laughs> it's all you know. In the end, I mean, what is the one trait that is most correlated with success? We all know it's persistence, grit, right? And so, how that plays out is not in a like you know Marvel action flick type of way. In my, it's just a showing up every day and putting in the work until your project is done and then you go on to the next one and um, especially it's especially necessary because I have quite a few projects on my plate at all times which means I don't have time to fuck around I don't I have to I have two hours here and I have to be working on this next book project or this next you know the legion needs we're doing a whole thing on the email marketing and I need you know to writing a bunch of copy and so um you know, there's a bit of necessity there, but I've also come to enjoy it. I like to know, you know, I find that being very routine-oriented allows me to focus my attention on fully on the tasks that I'm doing and the work that I'm doing, as opposed to trying to decide what am I going to do and is that really what I should be doing? And, you know what I mean? I think there's something to be said to that. Even, like, that I don't have to think about the foods that I eat. I don't think about the clothes that I wear. I wear the same shit. I eat the same shit every day because I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to even expend mental energy on that stuff. I have other things I have to do. You know what I mean? Is there anything else you knew that you'd like to incorporate into your existing routine? Or is your is that your routine done now? Um, I mean, my daily... Yeah, not, not really. I just, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of just like tapped out on time. So I don't even think about it. Like I don't have time to add anything else. There's nothing left. <laughs> so, um, in the future, I'm sure things will change just in terms of my, what I'm doing and my circumstances and priorities. But as it is right now, I mean, I even, I do work out, you know, I spend, uh, time with my family. I do a little bit every day, but you know, maybe an hour or so max. But then we do stuff on Saturdays, so that's good. And then on Sundays, I take a couple hours to go ice skating. I'm getting back into hockey, so I do take some time away from work. So I feel like at least there's a little bit of balance there. So right now, no, I, I, there's not really much that um, I, I can't think of any any changes that I think I should make at least. Yeah, and finally, if your if your great great grandson asked you, you know, what is it I should do with my life? What's the meaning of life? What would you say it is? Um, well, I think I mean some of the some of the big things that I think are just determined character, which is something also I try to like. My my goal as is, is a person is not. I, I kind of want to work toward a type of person that I want to be, as opposed to just making money or having things or being entertained or receiving praise or whatever. Um, and, I, and I like that. I mean, I've, I've come across that message in quite a few books that I've read. And it's really resonated with me that who you are 
matters a lot more than what you have uh, type of thing. And, and even what you, I mean, you could say what you do is a product of who you are, but more, more principle-based living, I guess. So I would say some of the lessons I think that are important are um, being a giver and not a taker, just in, just in general, being someone that like, you know, service to others is the rent that we pay here on earth. So if you're not, if you don't want to help other people, you don't want to be of service to other people, you are uh, a, unfortunately, um, you know, you're a detractor from, in, in a social sense, you know, in social value, you have, and this is not you personally, of course, but a person that doesn't want to be of service and doesn't want to help and just wants to receive and take things from other people, whether it be money or um, even just emotional, you know, uh, some people are just emotionally draining um, there are, I think, of negative social values. So be positive, be a, a, a positive social value where you are giving the thing to your, other people and you're being helpful. Um, and another thing is to be interested and not interesting. I think so many people, especially in this fitness space, are so narcissistic and so egocentric where they just want attention. It's all just about being famous and getting more likes and getting more people to tell you how awesome you are. And that type of person is really a turnoff to me. Like when I meet these type of people, I'm just immediately disinterested. I, I mean, I'm not like rude to them, but I just don't really have much to say to them. And I have no interest in them. Uh, what I, the people I like are people that are interested in life. They're not all about getting attention. They're, when you speak to them, they are interested in you. They're not just going to sit and talk about themselves for 30 minutes. And they have interests in life. They have things that, you know, that they're passionate about. They have areas that they like to read about. They have hobbies that they do. Uh, and I find those people more interesting. And I think those people are also just get along better in life. And I, lastly, I would say get so good at something that you can't be ignored. And this was advice from Steve Martin, uh, the comedian in his book. I think it's called Born Standing Up. And I think it's just awesome advice, and it's so true. It's kind of his, that's his secret to success. When people would ask him, what's, what's your secret to success? Be so good they can't ignore you. And I think that's so great because it just hits, it, it, one, it puts the responsibility in squarely where it should be, which is with us. And two, it's just very true that if you're not there yet, you're probably not good enough yet at something. There's something you need to get better at. There's a point where if you get so good at that thing, or those things that you just can't be ignored, that you just stand out, then a lot of the rest of uh, success just kind of works itself out. Mike, thank you. That's absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. Um, love your work, and, and I wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you a lot for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care.